Let's pray together. God Almighty, we praise and worship you for your goodness, for the incredible gift of your Son that we celebrate together this evening. Lord, for the amazing love that you've displayed to us in his coming into the world. We pray that you would address us now by your spirit because you are a gracious father and that you would speak your words of life to us and give us ears to hear. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas to all of you who are gathered in homes around Boston and I'm sure beyond Boston as well. Uh, we are glad to have this opportunity to be together and to celebrate the birth of our Lord. I know we had a few technical glitches at the beginning, but that seems quite fitting given the way the first Christmas went as well. Um, and Merry Christmas to all of you who are children. I know there are a lot of children with us this evening. And a special thanks to those of you kids who read for us earlier today thank, or in the service. Thank you. Um, for you children out there, I, I want to say that we're so glad to have you as a part of our lives and a part of our church family. And if you're a child who's watching right now, who's just visiting with your parents, we're really glad to have you here as well. I'm sure all of you are excited that Christmas is finally here and that if you're anything like my own kids, you might have a hard time going to sleep tonight because of what tomorrow might hold. I want you to know that we're grateful for your joy and for your love of life and your sense of wonder and excitement that you bring into our lives and into the world. And I say that especially this year as well. As many of you have no doubt sensed the possible added stress in the lives of your parents this year. It has been indeed a challenging year for all of us. And I know it has for you too as children in many ways. But we are so thankful even in the midst of that for your wonder and joy. And what a gift that is to all of us. And I want to encourage you children, my own included... Uh, to keep listening tonight, because what I'm going to share is just as relevant to you as it is to your parents. I was talking with a doctor in our congregation recently, and she described to me how everyone at her hospital is working so hard, from the people cleaning the rooms, to the nurses, to the doctors, to the technicians. And I think as this pandemic has dragged on, it's pretty easy for most of us to lose sight of this, just how hard our healthcare workers have been serving and working over the past eight and a half, almost nine months, I guess nine months now. And to that end, I want to say thank you to those of you who are working in healthcare. Thank you for working overtime, for bearing the stress of this pandemic in ways that many of us who aren't in this field really can't understand. Thank you and all of your colleagues for serving us and so many, for standing in the gap, for being at the bedside of patients as they pass from this life to the next without family or friends or ministers present. We are grateful for you and we're grateful for your service. And we know that many of you are even working tonight and many of you will be working tomorrow on Christmas Day to continue this level of care. And I want you to know that we are thankful for you. This doctor was describing to me just how hard it is to be joyful in this moment as Christmas arrives. And she said something that I think a lot of us could feel and identify with right now. She just wants permission to be sad, which I understand. To say that the church, to say in the church at this moment that all we need is a little bit of Christmas cheer is I think a bit callous and a bit unrealistic to the moment that we're in. I keep thinking of that Andy Williams song, it's the most wonderful time of the year. And I then think, no, it's actually not, not this year, not right now, it's hard. 
And this doctor told me how if Jesus were to walk into her hospital, she said, and see everything that's going on and see what she sees every day, he would be weeping. And she's right. There is a lot to weep over in our world right now. And in the midst of the devastation that this pandemic is wreaking on the the lives of so many in our world and upon so much of our way of life, it's a bit harder, isn't it, to say Merry Christmas. So here's my question for us tonight. What does it mean to say Merry Christmas in the midst of a broken, hurting, and pain-filled world? How do we walk through this moment with integrity and honesty and authenticity? But I want to say that honestly, since the fall in Genesis chapter 3, the world has always been this way. Even if for most of the time, many of us have been fortunate enough to be largely insulated from the brokenness of the world. It's always been broken and hurting and painful. Even the first Christmas makes this clear. The fact that no one would give up their room for a pregnant woman about to give birth in Bethlehem that night is broken. It's just not right. Things shouldn't be that way. And to be clear, I don't think that the joy of Christmas, of the first one or of any subsequent Christmas, requires us at all to close our eyes to the pain and brokenness of the world around us. In fact, I think if anything, it enables us to confront that pain and brokenness more courageously and honestly, because we see not only the overwhelming reality of that brokenness, but we also see through the lens of God who has overcome. We see the world in its pain through that lens of a God who has revealed himself. Christmas is an invitation to us from God to see him again. It's an invitation to do that with laser-like specificity and clarity. To replace our fuzzy notions about God as some distant higher power who created the world but is largely irrelevant and uninvolved in the world. To push that away with a vision of the God who is revealed in Jesus Christ. So we're going to reflect in our time briefly this evening on the Christmas story through the lens of John 1 verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as as of the only one from the Father, full of grace and truth. I want us to think first, who are we dealing with in the Christmas story? And then secondly, what do we learn about him as a result of these events that are at the heart of what we're sharing and celebrating this evening? So first, who are we dealing with? And this is a pretty simple and straightforward, but massively important and easily forgotten reality. So kids, if you're still with me, I want you to listen up. This is a story that is about God. God is the primary actor. At Christmas time, we're not just talking about Mary and Joseph and the angels and the animals. We are talking about God, the God of the universe and what this God has done about how he took initiative and came down into his world. That's what John means when he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word, if you've been with us at Park Street during the season of Advent over the past four weeks, you know about this word. We've been studying the prologue of John's gospel, the first 18 verses of the gospel of John. And John says in the opening verse, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. There was distinction. The word was with God. And there is identification. The word was God. 
This word, this one who existed from the beginning with God, who was God himself, this is Jesus. This is the one who we are talking about in this Christmas story. This word became flesh, we're told. And here is one of the great mysteries of the Christian faith. And it's at the heart of the Christmas story, the incarnation. In this baby boy, we see God himself in human flesh. Exalted deity becoming lowly humanity. In Jesus, we see the all-powerful becoming the helpless baby. The creator becoming a creature. God becoming man without in any way ceasing to be fully God or fully man. He is fully both. Again, kids, I don't know if you've ever read the children's book Scranimals by Jack Perlutsky and Peter Sis. Our family had a good bit of fun with this book as our kids were growing up. Someone gave it to us for Christmas many years ago. But if you've seen the book, you'll remember that it's full of these odd creatures, like the potatoed, a cross between a potato and a toad, or the orchid-cheetah, a cross between an ostrich and a cheetah. I should say ostrich-cheetah. I got that wrong. But in each of these scranimals, each one of them is something completely different than what the two things were before they became one. They're a mix-up of two prior things. Here's my point about Jesus. Jesus wasn't one of these scranimals. He was a true human being, just like you and just like me. But he was also at the same time fully God. Unlike a scranimal, he didn't stop being what he was when he became fully man. He remained fully God and fully man. And in his one unique divine person, Jesus unites the divine nature, and the human nature. And this is the mystery right at the center of the Christian faith. This is why I say we are dealing in this story with God. When we look at this baby, we see God. Colossians 1:19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Or Colossians 2:9. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Or Hebrews 1.3, as we read earlier, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Or 1 Timothy 3.16, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh. The fullness of deity dwells bodily in this one. He is fully God. But also when we look upon this baby, we see the second Adam, the firstborn of all creation, Or as Hebrews 2 says, we see the one who partook of flesh and blood and was made like his brothers in every respect. He was fully man so that he might become our mediator, our substitute, our representative. And that is critical in the Christian story. So we're dealing with God in this story. God now existing as a man. And it's an astonishing claim. But if we lose the divine side, if we say, well, Jesus was just an exalted teacher, a really good storyteller, a really good person, and so on, as many of us have tried to do over the centuries, then we lose the whole reason for the celebration. What makes this night and this day tomorrow so special is that it is about God. It's not about a human being only, but it's about God becoming human. And that's what makes this night so amazing. If we try to reduce Jesus to just being a man or just a baby in the manger. 
It's like trying to keep a wedding party going after the bride and groom have gotten into an argument and left in separate cars. It's just not right to keep the band playing and the music going and the food running and dancing. It's just not right anymore because the reason for the party is gone. But our culture so often continues the party but has banished the guest of honor. That in this baby we are dealing with God himself. So then secondly, what do we learn about the God of the universe? I said Christmas is an invitation to see God. Even in the midst of difficult and challenging circumstances like we're in now. What do we learn about this God through the Christmas story? And I want to mention three things. There are, of course, many more, but let me mention three. The first one is that God is involved in his world. God is involved in his world. He is not aloof. He's not merely the prime mover or the uncaused cause. He didn't just set up the world and then go off to other things. He is an active agent in the unfolding of history. In the stories of nations. And in the stories of you and of me. In our particular circumstances. He knows every hair on our head. Every word before we speak it. Like a child may view a parent for working too hard and not being around at her activities or being emotionally available to her. I wonder if we sometimes view God in this way. God, you just set things up. You gave us some rules for how to live. But then you kind of left. And we, start in, and we can start in that way of viewing God to become resentful. To think he's not really engaged. He isn't really here. He's absent. He hasn't really made himself known. But the Christmas story suggests just the opposite. God entered in. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. God became one of us. And God is not unengaged. He's involved. And he's involved in the deepest way possible. His involvement is at the point of our deepest need. Addressing our greatest malady. Long ago in my life I was trained as an EMT. Back in the days of my wilderness guiding. And we were taught in those classes when we came upon a patient to do a quick assessment of the patient. And of course to address the most severe issues first. Imagine how ridiculous it would be for an EMT to come on the scene of an accident and begin treating a patient whose leg had been severely injured by simply bandaging the cuts and scrapes on the patient's arm. That's not the kind of involvement that the patient needed. God addresses not just superficial issues, but our deepest problems. He gets involved in the most central way possible. He enters into the world and goes to the cross. Verse 14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then it says, and we have seen his glory. If you were with us this past Sunday, we talked about the moment of glory for Jesus in the gospel of John is at the cross. It's there that we see his glory. And the cross is therefore embedded in verse 14 that we're looking at. He goes to the cross that through the cross, he might prevail over our greatest enemy, sin, and evil and death and be victorious and create a way for us to walk forward to be healed in the deepest sense possible hebrews chapter 2 talks about this in verses 14 and 15 since therefore the children share in flesh and blood he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death that is the devil and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery 
That is, he became flesh to redeem us and to liberate us from the power of sin and from the problem of sin and the power of evil. And the incarnation as Christians for us is always connected to redemption and salvation. So John's gospel begins here with telling us about the word and his identity and his becoming flesh. And of course, it ends with the story of his crucifixion and resurrection. That this word would lay down his life for us. God's involvement is at the deepest level. Now, I know honestly that in our world today, many of us deny the reality of what we call in the church sin or evil. But I think if we're honest, we know it runs deep within each of us in the way that we think, in the way that we speak, and in the way that we act as well. One of the tremendous joys of the celebration of this night, of God's involvement in the world, is that we can begin to be honest about our own brokenness and sinfulness because we know that we are forgiven through Jesus. In a recent TV miniseries about two detectives, one of the characters talks about how he has this uncanny ability to elicit a confession from almost anyone. And he says that his ability to do this is rooted in his philosophy about human nature, which he explains in this way. Look, everybody knows there's something wrong with them. They just don't know what it is. Everybody wants confession. Everybody wants some cathartic narrative for it, the guilty especially. And everybody's guilty, he says think he's right. There's a sense in which we all know that we are not what we were supposed to be. And the amazing and wonderful news of God's involvement, God being involved in the world in this deepest way, is that we don't have to work our way out of what we know we're not. And we all try. We try to become something. We try to cover over the shadier and darker parts of our, of our character. But the amazing story that we're starting that starts with this birth at Christmas time is that when we receive this gift of the newborn king, we find liberation and renewal and healing, full healing for our deepest problem. And this is the result of God's great involvement. And look, the promise of scripture says that if God has given us, given us his son, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? That is, scripture argues from the greater to the lesser to say, if God is involved in the world in this way to deal with our deepest problem, then how will he not also be faithful in the midst of a pandemic and the challenges that we walk through in daily life? He will be. That is the promise. A God who would enter in like this as a baby is a God who will enter into your life in this moment, today and tomorrow and next year, whatever it is that you're facing. He is involved. He's not aloof. The second thing to say is not only is he involved, but he's present. The word became flesh and what? And dwelt among us. Dwelt among us. This is a powerful statement about the presence of God that God has chosen not to remain hidden or distant or unreachable or untouchable, but he enters in. John says, we've seen his glory. He came near among us and by his spirit, he remains as present among us now as he was in the physical flesh among that generation uh, where, in which he walked upon the earth. And the Christmas story reminds us of the presence of God. Even now. Even in the midst of the challenges that we face, God is present. God is near. God is not distant and far off, even if it feels like he is. And this says so much about God. 
It undermines that popular fuzzy notion about a far-off deity who's uninvolved. No, he is involved and he is present among us. I wonder if we'll take the time to be present to him. I'll occasionally have this experience at our family dinner table where I've started to say something and then one of our kids interrupts because they're excited to share something else and they launch into their own story or comment and then someone else at the table will pick up on that comment and another and they just keep adding on to one another and I'll just sit there and kind of wait patiently wondering if they'll ever come back to what I was going to share that I had something to say and it can go on for some time and then usually not always but usually one of the kids will go oh wait dad weren't you going to say something and they'll give me the floor again It's not obviously a one-to-one here in this illustration, but I think it can give us a picture about God. God is present in his world, and he has something to say to us, something to reveal to us as his children, something to give to us. But we're often too busy to stop and be present to his presence, to listen to him, to see him, to attend to him. We all do it. We fill our lives with the busyness of school or work or our phones or projects. The all-important matters of just making life work in the modern world. And yet we know these things don't bring us rest. They don't bring us peace. They tend to wind us up more and more and often leave us feeling pretty empty or frazzled or discouraged. At least they can. And God's just there waiting for us to turn to the one who is present and say, Lord, I'm listening. God, I'm here. I want to be present to you. That is the response he's looking for. He dwelt among us. He came and was present to us. He drew near. And he longs for us to be attentive to his presence. To listen. The amazing reality of the Christmas story is that God is present with his people and he's willing and desiring to be present with each one of us as well. This brings me to the third and final point of what we see about God in the Christmas story. He is involved, he is present, but he also knows. The word became flesh. He became one of us. He quite literally got into our skin and walked through this world of tears. He was a refugee as a young child. He was betrayed. He knew the grief of death and and the pain of hunger. He was humiliated and misunderstood. He was opposed and lied about. He was falsely accused. He was a wanderer with no sense of home. His own family even misunderstood him. This is what I want you to know about this God is that there is nothing in your experience or mine. There's nothing that you're walking through right now or that I'm walking through right now in this world of pain and suffering that our God, the creator God of the universe does not know and has not experienced as a human being, including even death itself. That is, he knows this from our vantage point. Talk about empathy. Talk about getting into someone else's situation and shoes. Talk about love. God came to be one of us. He became flesh. The word became flesh. That he would know what it was like to be us. 
It's an incredible reality that we learn from the Christmas story. Hebrews again in chapter 4 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The God of the universe is a God who knows, who knows what you're going through, who knows what you're experiencing, who knows it because he's lived it in the flesh. He's become one of us and he's walked in our shoes. That is an astonishing reality. A God who knows what it's like to be us. So here's what I want to say as we walk through the pandemic still and as we wrestle with the joy of this moment. And there is genuine joy for us who know this God and who have come to see this God and who have responded to his entering in, his being involved, his knowing and his presence in our midst. That we can see all that we're dealing with in the world through the lens of this story of a God who has come near, a God who has become flesh. And we know that this God, as he entered in, dealt with our deepest problem. The one that's underlying all of the things that aren't right about this world. God has dealt with that in the person of his son at the cross and through his resurrection. And that's what we celebrate. Even as the tears flow down our cheeks, that's what we celebrate as the people of God. And that's what all human beings are invited into. This understanding of a God who has dealt with the world in the deepest way possible. And dealt with us in the deepest way that we need. And we can look out at the world. And we can mourn over its brokenness. But we can do so as those who worship and adore and fall before the newborn king, Jesus, the word made flesh. This is God that we're talking about in this story. This is the one who made you, who loves you, and who wants your whole life to be reoriented around his life. And that's when it will become so good, even as we wrestle. Merry Christmas. Christ is born. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. What an amazing God we serve. Let's pray. God, we worship you and we praise you. How you have done such an amazing thing to become flesh. Lord, in the midst of this moment, would you, we ask that you would be gracious to make yourself known to us in a fresh and new way. Help us to see you. Help us to see your involvement and your presence and to know that you understand us. And grow us, we pray, as we are restored to what we were always meant to be in fellowship with you. God, make yourself known again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.